Father, I just pray that this would be an extension of our lifestyle where we worship you and we praise you on a daily basis. A constant awareness that, that you give life and breath and, and everything that's there. And I just pray, God, that we would return that to you in praise and adoration. Thank you, God, that we can take this time this morning to refocus our minds and to leave all the things that, that distract us so much during the week. And we can come and we can refocus on you who deserve all the glory. I just pray, God, today that you would again build faith and that you would be glorified as we, we lift you up and we come into contact with you, the living God, in your presence, that we would be changed, we'd be transformed. Because we can't come into contact with the living God without changing. And I just pray that as that happens, Lord, that you would continue to build in us the image and person of Jesus Christ who become more like Jesus. And Father, I thank you for Pastor Dan and his ministry and his leadership of the entire Wisconsin district. Thank you, God, for the opportunity we have uh, to be able to hear from his heart today. And, and we just pray that you'll take the words that he speaks today and also transform our minds and our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like just to give a warm... Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, welcome to Pastor Dan Bickle, our leader. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mark. It's, uh, I am so excited to be here. Uh, I can't believe it's been 17 years since I uh, walked away from this place. And I, again, every time I come back, I just want to say thank you for your graciousness in enduring me for 10 years. Uh, as your pastor, and it is just a delight. I know some of you would uh, like to ask questions about, like, why is my wife not here? Well, she kind of does what Judy does uh, with the new church plant that our son, our oldest son, Brent, is doing down in Wanakee in North Dane County. Uh, they are doing fantastic. God continues to honor and, and bless uh, their leadership and their work. So. I just tell everybody wherever I go that Rini has given me permission to travel by myself right now. So uh, I miss her and I know that you would much prefer to see her and to talk to her, but it is a delight to be here. So uh, our oldest son, Brent, is, as I said, is, uh, has planted a church. He's about five or six years old now there in Wanakee. And, um, and then our youngest son, Bryce, and his family live down in South Carolina. Both he and his wife work for Southern Wesleyan University uh, in, in different offices there. So uh, it is a delight. Let me just give you, before I open the word, um, to uh, just share a few brief notes. And so I've just made some notes, so I'm just going to kind of buzz through some of these things just to update you on, on things that are changing. And they continue to change, uh, as we know. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not as young as I used to be, Greg, you know? I, I'm just not. So, uh, and, and I just, I, I, keep, I keep trying to add hair, and it just doesn't work. Um, so maybe I haven't tried the, the right formulas. But um, I am delighted to be here, and I was so honored to, to be your pastor. Let me just share a few things that are going on. Obviously, as many of you know, there has been a new church that has started in, here in Eau Claire. 
and uh, they are doing very well. Chad McCollum uh, has started as a new lead pastor at Hayward Wesleyan Church, and Dominique Clements is a new staff pastor at the River. Earl Leach has started at Woodland. Luke Wilson, Mark Wilson's son, is now on staff at Northern Lakes as student ministries pastor. Casa de Restauración is, is starting bilingual services this spring. And in the past 12 months, we have approved 12 Hispanic leaders for licensing both as licensed ministerial student, licensed ministers, or licensed special workers. And this is really cool. On Easter Sunday, there were 27 Hispanic people that were baptized at both of the two Hispanic churches uh, in Milwaukee. And so we celebrate that. Zach and Kara Vincent, who've been on staff, are leaving Spooner, will be working in Native Ministries in Green Bay with InterVarsity. Nathan and Sarah Moth, Moss have left Hillside, McGuanago, and will be preparing for the mission field this year with Global Partners. So lots and lots of things are changing and even more probably to come. Uh, as, as we become aware of that. But God is still at work. God is still doing some incredible things uh, across the, the church, including in Wisconsin. Now, just a, a, a brief update on Uganda. Uh, there were two teams in Uganda over the last few months. Uganda is now its own national conference. Twelve were ordained, including the first woman to be ordained there in Uganda. And over the past three years, they have planted over 20 churches and seen over 1,400 people come to Christ. Just in the last few years. Much of that is due to the Jesus Film. If you're familiar with the Jesus Film Project, basically it's, it's a video story of the life of Jesus. And then an invitation is given for people to come and accept Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, these churches have been planted. We have paid for and sponsored a second Jesus Film Go Pack. And their vision in Uganda is to have 100 churches and 100 trained pastors in the next five years. Imagine the, the vision that they have in order to try to reach their country for Jesus Christ. I want to um, ask you a question about um, rainy days and Mondays. Any, any of you remember, okay, this is my generation, the carpenters, they, they were not people that sawed logs and things like that. It was a brother-sister group, and they wrote a song and, and recorded a song called Rainy Days and Mondays Always Get Me Down. And I thought about that. I thought, okay, so it's a rainy day's fault, or it's Monday's fault. In other words, Monday made me do it. What is it that drives your decision about how you are going to have and act and respond with an attitude about the particular day? Is it because it's Monday or because it's raining that determines whether this is going to be a good day or not? The question is, how and on what basis do we make our decisions, choices? I want to talk about choices this morning. When I was growing up, we basically had vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, and what was that other one? All three of them together? Neapolitan, yes. 
What a special treat. I could actually scoop it across and get all three colors in the same bowl of ice cream. That was really, really cool. Now, you go down the aisle of a grocery store. Tell me how many choices do you have for ice cream? My goodness. Our grandkids, two of, two, two of the three grandkids that live close to us, they love cookie dough ice cream. Now, when I was a kid, I'd take my finger in the bowl when mom was making chocolate chip cookies and we ate cookie dough. But now they made ice cream out of, with cookie dough. It's just amazing the choices that we have. There are people that study these kinds of things. I'm not sure why, but there are people that study these kinds of things. And they say that an adult makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every day. And get this, 226.7 decisions every day are made on just food alone. That's a lot of food decisions that we make, isn't it? So we all have this, this the standard way of signing, signing our letters and our emails, don't we? Okay, I have my way, and, and Daniel Munoz, uh, one of our pastors, he always signs his shalom. That's, that's just the way, he, that's the way he does it. One of our friends, Todd Marksbury, the former worship leader at 12 Stone, signs his make it a great day. Instead of have a great day, he says, make it a great day. You see the difference? It's by choice how we respond to Mondays or rainy days or any day. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve, many of you are very familiar with the, the story of Adam and Eve, but they were given one of the most beautiful and powerful gifts from God, and we all have this power that was created within us when we were created by God. It's one of the most beautiful, and it's also one of the most powerful and potentially devastating things that God created within us, and that is the power to choose. So he created Adam and Eve, and he said, okay, you got this paradise, it's called Eden. You could do anything you wanna do, just don't, just don't eat that fruit, okay? But it's up to you to choose whether you want to do that or not. So what happened in the story, of course, the snake deceived Eve, and she chose to eat the fruit she was not supposed to eat. And then when God confronted Adam and Eve, you know the story, Adam said, the wife made me do it, right? In fact, the wife, God, you gave to me, made me do it. So it really was your fault, God. And then, of course, Eve said, the, the snake made me do it. And uh, one of our pastors, Mark Holmes, said, and the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> just, just saying. Um, so let's talk about the, this blame game really quick before we jump into the scripture. And I want to make a couple of observations when we get to that in, in Matthew chapter 5. But there, there is this blame game, and there are some people that talk about what's called genetic determinism. Okay, that's where your grandparents did it to you, the gene pool, the DNA. 
There's psychic determinism, which basically says your parents did it to you, your childhood experiences, your upbringing. And then there are people that talk about environmental determinism. Whereas it's my spouse or my boss or my job or my kids or Monday or rainy days that did it to me. Now, do genetics, upbringing, circumstances in life influence who we will be? Absolutely. Do they determine what we will be? Absolutely not. Because what God created in each of us is the power to choose. Let's talk about choice this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, and the scripture is going to uh, come up there, I just want to, uh, to read those verses for you and you'll be able to see those on the screen. Beginning with verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your, great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I want to show you a picture of a grid. There's, there's a grid that's uh, up there on the screen. And what I have done is to try to illustrate for you, there are a lot of people that would call this the, the Beatitudes, the attitudes of what we are supposed to be, or uh, it is part of what, what people call the Sermon on the Mount, so the, the sermon that, was, that Jesus preached when he was on a mountain to a crowd of people. And this is the beginning of 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew chapter 5, which is a part of this incredible, value-driven, very difficult in some ways, sayings, and hard to understand. But what I want to do is I want to just look at these first uh, few verses called the Beatitudes, these blessed statements, and kind of break it down and make a couple of observations about that. So as you're looking at that grid, you can see that on the left side, I have identified what we would say, what I would identify as the choice. So we're talking about choosing, all right? Many times we don't look at it in, in this way or in this light, but basically every single one of those statements, if you reverse some of that statement, Blessed is really a result or a consequence. And then in each of those statements that Jesus makes, there is also a second separate set of consequences. But all of those things, and, and this is the big thing, all of these things are based on our choice. Now let me explain. You see, what is it that creates the responses or the consequences? 
Basically, the choice of a true follower of Jesus Christ is what Jesus is enumerating here in these verses. He's saying that if you and I are going to be true followers of Christ, then it will start with the admission of our spiritual poverty. Second, we will grieve over our spiritual bankruptcy. Now, if you go down through that sequence, and I'll make another observation when we're done with this, but it also means to be submissive to the will of God. It means to be hungry in our hearts for God. It means to be forgiving and to show mercy to others. It means that we have this desire and we make this choice to be holy like God and we make the choice to be peacemakers and we make the choice to be willing to stand for Christ no matter what people say about us or no matter what people do to us. So the first observation that I, that I want to make is to look at these verses from a little bit different perspective and to understand that if we are going to make choices based on biblical values. It is going to be when we make these value-driven choices that Jesus is talking about here, okay? We make the choice, and then secondly, we understand that makarios is a result of that. So when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he is saying that we choose to admit our spiritual poverty. And when we do that, when we make that choice, we will have makarios. Now, what does makarios mean? Makarios basically means a deep joy that is independent of rainy days and Mondays. It is a deep joy that is independent of circumstances in our lives. Now, all of us know that life happens. There are tough things that happen to us in our lives. We all have these things. But what happens in our response is what is important. It is the decision that we make in response to life that comes our way. So, there is the left grid, which is the choice, the center one, which is the deep joy, the makarios, and then the right one talks about the specific or individual consequences. Now, I only, I only put the first one up there, and you can fill in, you can look at the scripture, and you can fill in all of the other things. Basically, all down the middle, it's just makarios, okay? So as you go through this sequence, there is promised to us makarios, all the way from the beginning to the end, even if people say insulting things about us, and by the way, we know that that is increasing in our culture. And there is persecution, and there are millions of people all around the world that are being killed and martyred and persecuted just because they are believers in Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, I promise you, that there can be deep joy, independent of whatever it is that you have to face 
in your life. And it's all based on these value-driven decisions. Okay? So, I choose to admit my spiritual poverty. The second observation that I want to make this morning about this scripture is that, and, I, and I've never really quite seen it this way before, but I think that there is a sequence to this. All right? We do not begin the journey of making value-based, faith-based decisions until we start with number one. Who in the world here this morning would even think about or want to live out the last blessed statement that Jesus makes about being insulted and persecuted and being willing to die for our faith unless you have already made those early statements and decisions in your life. I also see here, just kinda, it's, it's just kind of cool, the, the, the plan of salvation and the plan of Christian discipleship and maturity in these statements that Jesus makes. Look at them with me, okay? So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the first thing we have to do is we have to admit that we're sinners. We have to say, God, I blew it. I've sinned, I've walked away, I've been independent. I've believed that I could live my life on my own, by myself, without you. When we admit our spiritual poverty, and that's what it's really saying. That's the beginning of the journey of faith and of making value-based decisions. The second, the second statement that Jesus makes where he says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not talking about, uh, yeah, I just, I love it when family members die and you get to mourn. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about grieving over the spiritual bankruptcy that we have. And we make the choice not just to admit but also then to grieve over that spiritual poverty and that bankruptcy. And then the third one naturally follows is we begin to say, God, in this process, I begin to submit to your will, to your plan, to your authority, to make you Lord of my life, not just fire insurance or salvation or freeing me from whatever it was that was a part of my past but I am willing to submit my will to yours. That's what the third one is. It's not saying, okay, if we're gonna be really spiritually value-driven believers, then we need to just like become doormats for the world. It doesn't mean that at all. It means I'm willing to submit and live under the authority of God's plan and His will. And then what naturally follows is to be hungry Tell me how many of you, before you came to Christ, were hungry for everything that God wanted for you in your life? No, that hunger was created when you opened your heart and your life and you admitted those things and you submitted yourself to God's will. And it's like, oh, God's word begins to 
Be important in your life. Prayer becomes important in your life. Showing up on a weekend at church with other people who are walking the same journey becomes important to you again, or maybe for the first time. You become hungry. It's a natural response and a natural decision. And then what happens is as we grow and as we become disciples of Christ, we learn what it means to forgive. Wow. Like, forgive my wife. Forgive my spouse. Forgive my kids for the stupid things that they did when they were teenagers. Forgive my boss. Forgive that person that comes to church who hurt and offended you. We began to learn and grow and mature. And we learn how to show mercy. And we, sh we learn how to forgive each other. Listen, folks, if we don't figure out how to do this, we are lost and we are dead in the water as, as Christianity. We need to learn to live with each other. We need to learn to work with each other. We need to be hungry for the right kinds of things, and we need to learn to forgive. And then the following is to be holy, to want to be like Jesus more and more every day, and then to be peacemakers. Not just try to keep the peace, but also to be like Jesus who confronted sin and evil and wrong and, and injustice and made peace. And then to be willing to stand for Christ no matter what. There's another picture that I want to, uh, to give to you in contrast, just to try to help close this thing out and illustrate what I'm trying to talk about when I'm talking about these value-driven biblical choices. What is it that drives you in the decisions that you make? Is it Matthew chapter 5 and the things that Jesus talks about? Or is it, uh, Keith Drury gave this to me uh, several decades ago, okay? And uh, he called it the temptation pyramid. All right, so it's a pyramid, it's a triangle. But let me just kind of explain to you on the other side what many people in our culture and which every single one of us all the time are tempted and driven to make choices about, okay? So I've got these, I've got these decades and, and guess which decade I'm in? The bottom one, yeah, that's right. I'm 17 years old, you got it. <laughs> so all of these start with a P, and anybody who likes to take notes and, and you know, that's important to you, that the, they all start with a P. So at the bottom of the, the scale, and I'll explain it to you, the teens, the teen decade, all right, those teenage years, what is it that is the major driving force for them making or tempted to make decisions. It's called peer pressure or popularity. All right, they go to a party. Why are they gonna make a decision? 
they probably are not going to be super excited and tempted to, to make a decision based on Matthew chapter 5. They're going to say, do I try this drug? Do I try this alcohol? Do I try this sex thing? And it is driven by and based on the value of peer pressure or popularity. That's what I mean by the different kinds of decades. And, and it's the dominant thing. Now, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s things that I'm going to talk about, those are also at any decade, at any time in our lives, we are also tempted and driven by that. But these are kind of like the prominent ones, just to kind of give you an illustration. So in the 20s, it's what I would call pleasure. Okay, get out of high school, get away from mom and dad, go to college, live out on your own or whatever. It's like, I can experiment with anything and I'm just free to do that. Pleasure becomes that dominant value-driven uh, kind of thing in that decade. And then in the 30s, possessions, you start accumulating furniture, TVs, stuff like that. That becomes a dominant Temptation for making decisions in the 40s, power in the 50s, pride. And in the 60s, which in reality is the decade that I'm in, I call it passivity. And I can tell you because I'm in that decade now that there is a driving temptation for me. And some of you know that because you've been in or through that decade, is we are tempted to become passive and make decisions based upon what is just kind of easy and comfortable for me. You see what I mean? It is easy for us to be tempted at any time and in any way across these decades by popularity or pleasure or possessions or power or pride or passivity. All of those things can drive me to make decisions that are anti or against the value, biblical decisions that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. So, in closing this morning, the question that I want to ask you and it's up there on the screen, if you, if you can just throw that up there, okay? From which grid do you make your choices from? The Matthew 5 grid or the Temptation Pyramid grid? You think about it. Which decade are you in? Are you still driven by popularity or making your decisions based upon what feels good for you, not necessarily what is right, but what feels good for you? Are you still driven by power or pride, or I've earned my right to sit back in my e easy chair and do nothing for the rest of my life? What is it that drives you in the decisions that you make or are they the decisions that are driven by the thing that Jesus has promised to us, the Makarios? And may I just say in closing this morning, 
because I've gone through all of these decades that I mentioned this morning. And I can tell you this morning, without a question, without a doubt, the thing that satisfies every person is Makarios, a deep, abiding sense of joy and satisfaction in your gut, in your heart, in your life. And the only way that that comes is through those value-driven decisions to say, I will continue to admit my spiritual poverty, grieve over my spiritual bankruptcy, submit myself to the will of God, humble myself before him, choose to, to be holy like Jesus, do all of those things. And at the end of my life, at the end of your life, I can tell you that the Makarios will still be there. And the things that Jesus promised in Matthew chapter five will also be there. Yours will be the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled. You will be shown mercy. You will see God. You will be called the children of God. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Along with that deep joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word of God, Matthew chapter 5, these, these beautiful statements that Jesus highlighted in that message that he preached so many hundreds of years ago. And I pray, Lord, for each of us, as we think about the choices that we make every day, not just about ice cream or food, but really, really important decisions about our lives, our children, our grandchildren, the way we live our lives. God, I pray that we would not be driven by the temptation pyramid and make decisions based on those kinds of things, but we will take the other direction every day and say, God, I choose to continue to admit my spiritual bankruptcy. I choose to submit to your will. I choose to follow you. I choose to be holy. I choose to express forgiveness and show peace and mercy to other people. And I realize, God, that you promised us that when we make those value-driven choices, that we will have Makarios, deep, deep, deep joy that can only come by living Matthew chapter five. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. I thank you for the incredible people, for the very, very special people and their hearts and their, their love for you and their desire to live for you and to give for your kingdom's work both here and around the world. I just pray for myself and I pray for this church and the future ministry of this church that we would live by Matthew chapter five, be driven by those kinds of choices 
that we need to make. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.